you can turn this around. I love that, how powerful that truly is. Thank you, brother, so much for your ministry and um, for that song this morning. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians 6 is what we'll be looking at. We're still putting our focus on the family. And we're doing that for we realize the importance of the family. We realize the purpose of the family. And therefore, we realize the power of the family. And I've said before, I'm going to keep saying it. If we want real lasting change in the world that we live in, we need not start at the White House or the State House. It needs to start at my house. And it needs to start at your house. Uh, that's where real lasting change that makes a difference really takes place. I believe that if we work on the family and we rebuild the foundation, then the nation itself will be stronger. And so it must start with me and it must start with you. Now, if we're going to get a hold of truth concerning the family, and that's what we're going to try our best to do right here this morning, then we must ask the creator of the family what he says about it. We must get clear instruction from him. And I've got good news for all of us. God has given us clear instruction straight from his word as to how the family is supposed to operate. He's given it for us in several different places, but we've been looking primarily for the last three weeks at Ephesians chapter number five, and then today we'll move into chapter six. Now, there's four main points that I want to give you concerning the text that we have here in these two chapters of the Word of God. First of all, we said, if the family's going to be what God wants it to be, then every member must be spirit-filled. If you believe that, say amen. Now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the Apostle Paul makes that plain to us in Ephesians 5.18. He says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Just as wine controls people when they drink it, we should allow God the Holy Spirit to be in control with us. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we will be controlled by the Spirit. And if we are controlled by the Spirit, then listen, folks, that means it's going to make it, He will make a difference in the decisions and choices that we make daily. It's going to make a difference in how we live our lives and how we uh, be the husband that God has called us to be, the wife that God has called us to be, how we become the parents God wants us to be. But it all starts with the power of God at work in us. Because like I've said before, it is absolutely impossible for us to do what God has commanded here in Ephesians 5 and 6 without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't love my wife as Christ loves the church unless I'm operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wives, you can't submit to your husbands as God has called you to without the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So we need His power in our lives, controlling us. Now, for Him to control us, that means we must relinquish control. Can you say amen? We must give Him control in our lives. Lord, it's not my will, but your will. It's not what I want, but what you want. It's not what I think and what I say. Lord, I'm going to follow what you say. Now, last week, you helped me preach the Word of God very well. And, and we're going to continue that this morning. We said last week, God's Word works. Let's try it one more time. God's Word works. And we know that to be true. God's Word is truth. God's Word is power. God's Word gives us clear instruction for how life is to be lived. But if it's going to make a difference in my life, and it's going to make a difference in your life, then we must apply that truth. 
It works, but we must work it out daily. We must apply it daily. So the first thing we need to understand is every member of the family needs to be filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit. Let me give you one verse, Galatians 5, 22, well, two verses in verse number 23. What does it look like when the, every member of the family is filled with the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy and it's peace and it's long-suffering or patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness. Let's go to verse 23. It's gentleness, it's self-control. Now put 22 back on the screen. Now let me ask you something. How many of you would like to live in a home full of love? How many of you would like to live in a home full of joy? How many of you would like to live in a home full of peace? How many of you would like to live in a home that is patient? How many of you would like to live in a home that is kind? How many of you would like to live in a home that's good and faithful to one another, loyal to one another? How many of you would like to live in a home, the next verse please, that is gentle? How many of you would like, would like to live in a home who exercises self-control? You know, each member. Now, if you want to live in a home like that, and I don't know why you wouldn't, then what we need to be is controlled by God the Holy Spirit. For as we are controlled by God the Holy Spirit, these fruits will be evident in our life. Can you say amen? I want to be a father that walks in love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faith, self-control, temperance. I want to be that kind of dad. And if I want to be that, then I've got to allow God the Holy Spirit to have control in my life. I must be filled with Him. And that's true for every member. So that's point number one. Point number two, if you want the next instruction for how the family is supposed to operate, then every spouse must fulfill their role. And husbands, you have the role of loving your wife as Christ loves the church. The Bible says, Ephesians 5, and verse number, look down to verse number 29. I, I didn't spend as much time on this verse as I like to have in the last two weeks. So let me just spend a little bit of time right here. For the no man ever yet hated his own flesh. The Bible says, but he nourisheth it and cherisheth it. If you go back and you read the rest of this scripture, you'll see that the Bible says that a man is to love his wife as he loves himself. And then he makes it plain in verse 29 that the, the, if we really love our wives as we love ourselves, then what we'll do is nourish her and cherish her can you say amen now the word nourish here speaks of provision and i want you to know husbands it's really nobody else's job to provide for your wife but you i think that needs to be said in the world we live in i'm amazed at the sense of entitlement people have I'm amazed that people want to take no responsibility for their action, for themselves, or for their family. Let me give you just a microcosm of that. And we saw it in the last two weeks right here in Hamilton, Alabama. We had a water trouble. I'm going to be honest. I was amazed at the people who got fighting mad because they thought somebody was supposed to bring cases of water and drop them off at their house or something come on man we grown it's nobody else's responsibility to make sure i have what i need and if times get bad enough 
I know how to boil some creek water. Can you say amen? But I'm not going to sit around and grumble because somebody else don't bring and do for me what I need to do. This sense of entitlement is ridiculous. It's nobody else's job to provide for me and mine but me as a husband and as a father. Now, what does that mean, men? That means you provide needs. I certainly want to do that. I'm going to do everything I can to do that. But because I love my wife so much, I also want to give her all the wants that I can give her. Now, the good thing about my wife, she realizes what's important and what's not. And the truth is, she don't have a lot of wants. Or if she does, she don't let me know it. I can't get her to spend any money on herself. I mean, she'll go buy me something. She'll go buy the kids something. Uh, but she won't buy herself nothing. I mean, she's always been that way. She, she makes sure I, I get a hot meal. The kids get a hot meal. And, and many times she gets a cold meal. I mean, she just, that's how she operates. So I want you to know, guys, it is certainly our uh, responsibility to make sure we provide for needs. And yes, because I love her, I want to give her all the wants I can give her. But nurture speaks, no, or the, the, the word to nurture here speaks of provision. He nourisheth. Right, that, that, that is provision. But he says cherisheth. What does that mean? That means protection. It is up to me as a husband to make sure my wife feels safe at all times. Amen. She should never feel in danger around me. Now, let me tell you something, men. If your wife feels in danger with you, then you are a weak man. If she is scared of you, and wives are usually scared of husbands for a reason, then you, sir, are a weak man. You never put your hands on a woman. And let me be extremely clear. If you do, you're a weak man. It is your job and my job as husbands to, yes, provide but also protect. Now let me tell you the good news. We're not in this alone. I have a heavenly father who knows my need, who meets my need. And I have come to find out as long as I'll halfway try to do my part, he always does his part. So what I'm going to keep doing is working like it's all up to me and keep trusting like it's all up to him. That's what we do, guys. And the good news is, he's for us and not against us. He helps us. He leads, guides, and directs us. And I'm so thankful for it. So every spouse must do their job. The husband's job is to nourish and protect his wife, to provide and protect, no doubt about it, and other things, but I just wanted to throw that one out there while we were going through this. And then we went to this, this morning, I also want you to remember the wife's role is to submit to her husband. 
That's what the scripture says. And we looked last week at length at verse number 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular also love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence, respect, submit to her husband. That's what the scripture says, Ephesians 5.33. I love that verse because it's almost like God the Holy Spirit through the, uh, through the writing of the Apostle Paul. Just puts it all in a nutshell in one verse, and he says it in verse 33, which is awesome. So, first of all, if we want our family to be what God wants it to be, what he's created it to be, every member must, listen to me now, be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Every spouse must fulfill their role in the relationship, in the marriage. And then the third thing that I want you to see is that every parent must do their part. Every parent must do their part. Look at verse number 4 of Ephesians chapter number 6. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, watch this now, and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray together and we're going to get right into this. Father, again, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Bless these services, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. We need you, Lord. I can do nothing without you, but I realize all things are possible through you. So, Lord, have your way. Have your will. Holy Spirit, do your work in this place, we pray in Jesus' mighty name and for your sake. Amen. What does it mean that every parent must do their part in the family. Well, first of all, he says in Ephesians 6, ye fathers. So let me ask you something. Let me ask you a very dumb question. Who do we know he's speaking to in this verse? Well, that's not hard to see, is it? He addresses it right off. He says, and ye fathers. Now, does that mean that's all that he's speaking to in this verse? No, absolutely not. This message is for mamas just like it's for daddies, and we'll get into that. Like I said, every parent must fulfill their, do their part, fulfill their role in parenting, no doubt about that. But we certainly know he is speaking to fathers. Now, why does God make that clear right here in Ephesians 6 and 4? He makes it clear for this reason. How many of you know with headship in the home comes responsibility? Now, guys, that's one thing that we have got to understand first and foremost. The headship that God has blessed us with is a great blessing, but it comes with a great deal of responsibility. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I want you to understand, men, that, listen to me now, all of us as husbands and father will one day give an account for how we led our families, for how we loved our families. All of us will. One day I'm going to stand before Jesus and give an account for how I parented my children, for how I loved and led my wife. I'm going to give an account. With headship comes great responsibility. Now, because you have headship, dads, then one day you and I will be held responsible. Now, why else does God certainly speak to the fathers here and make that plain? Because fathers have great influence over their children. Years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention done a study on the home, the family, and church growth. And this is what they found. They found that when a child in the home makes the decision to follow Jesus and joins a local church, about 9% of the time, the family will follow. When a mother follows Jesus and joins the local church, about 23% of the time, 
then the family will follow. And then they saw when a father follows Jesus and joins the local church, 86% of the time, the family will follow. Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you why that's true. That's true because fathers have influence. I, I, I'm telling you, I've seen that firsthand in my life. I remember when I was growing up, my dad um, trusted in Jesus when I was around 12, maybe 13 years old. Up until that time, my father had a lot of struggles in his life. He struggled with alcoholism, and, and that was something that, uh, that, that was a burden to our family. And, and, and I remember what that was like prior to uh, him coming to know Jesus as his personal Savior. But I'm going to tell you something. When Jesus saved him, he radically saved him. I mean, he was the type of guy who wanted nothing to do with the things of God. As a matter of fact, I can remember him telling my mama, she would always take me and my brothers to church. And that was Sunday in, Sunday out. Um, we were there. Hey, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we was in church. If there's a WMU meeting, we was at the WMU meeting. I mean, we, we were always with mom at church. And I'm thankful for that. But I can remember my dad telling my mom, if you go to church today and take the boys with you, uh, then I won't be here when you get back. And guess what? We'd come home and he wouldn't be there. But she remained faithful. But that's kind of, I'm just trying to give you a glimpse of how my dad thought about the things of God. When Jesus saved him, he radically saved him. Radically saved him. There was a complete 180 in his life and in our home. Everything changed. And it was amazing to see that take place. I cannot imagine what would have happened or what could have happened if God hadn't did that work in my dad's life. I'm telling you, fathers, take it from my own uh, testimony, my own experience. We are either leading our families to Christ or we're leading them away from Christ. But you are leading. And you do have influence. I want to give you a good verse in John chapter what are three verses. John 21 starting in verse number one. John 21, verse number one. Watch what the Bible says right here. I love this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, that's one, Thomas called Didymus, that's two, and Nathaniel, that's three, of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which we know to be James and John, that's four and five, and two other disciples, that's seven total, seven disciples. And look what happens. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. Now let me tell you something. We read in scripture and we find that Peter had a leadership role among the disciples. I mean, he was actually the, uh, really the, the, the first one to, to step forward and lead in that group. And after Jesus was resurrected, and then on the day of Pentecost, Peter was the first one to preach there in Jerusalem. 3,000 souls got saved, and Peter was a fantastic, uh, powerful man of God, no doubt about it. But he had a role of leadership. He had influence over the other disciples. And the Bible says then in verse number 3, Simon Peter said unto them, I go a-fishing. They said to him, we also go with thee. And he said, Brother what do you mean uh, uh, with these verses? Well, I, I mean this. How many of you know fishing is what Peter did prior to meeting Christ? But if you remember, 
Jesus told Peter, from now on, you're no longer going to be a fisher of fish. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. You remember that? Now, what I think is happening here, Peter's discouraged. Peter's depressed. Peter is still heartbroken that he failed the Lord by denying him three times. And I think Peter came to the place after Jesus had been crucified that he said, ah, forget it. I'm done with all this. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back to fishing. You say, our brother, what's wrong with fishing? Well, there ain't nothing wrong with fishing. Matter of fact, if going fishing is wrong, I don't want to be right. I love to fish. I enjoy fishing. But the point is, Peter's turning from the Lord back to what he used to be, going back to where he used to be. But watch what happens. When he made the decision, six more followed him. Men, listen to me. Your decisions and your choices matter. They don't just influence you. They influence everyone in your household, everybody you have influence over. Do you understand me? Love your family. But now listen, lead your family and lead them to Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. As, so he says, ye fathers, he makes that plain. Fathers, make sure you get this. Now, how are we as fathers, mothers, as parents, how are we going to do what the rest of Ephesians 6, 4 says? He says, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How are we going to bring them up? Well, three ways we're going to do it, all right? Number one, we're going to declare in our home that Christ, Jesus, is king. We're going to declare in our home that Christ Jesus is king. <laughs> That's first and foremost. We're going to let our kids know. We're going to speak it out loud. Look, I can't say what everybody else is going to do, but we are going to serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. I love that verse. If you go back and read the book of Joshua, you'll find that by the power of God, God used Joshua to lead the nation of Israel into Canaan land, into the promised land. And when they got there, it was full of Philistines, a lot of them being giants. And God, by his power, caused the Philistine armies to fall down before the people of God. It was amazing what God had did. But over time, over time, let me tell you what happened. The nation of Israel, who had seen God work in such a powerful way, they had saw him split this, the, 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 the Red Sea. They had saw him, listen, stack water up on a heap as they walked across on dry ground through the Jordan River. They had saw him cause the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. They had saw all the things that God had done there getting to the promised land, bringing them into the promised land, and now he had given them fully the promised land. Praise the Lord. They had saw all the goodness that God had done. But little by little, over time, the people began to turn back and follow the gods they worshipped in Egypt. They set up idols in their life. Things that they put before the Lord. With one little compromise here. And one little compromise there. It was a slow fade. But they were fading. 
Joshua, right before he dies, he says this. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I love that. I love that. You know what Joshua's saying? You can do what you want to do. It's your choice. But you've got to make a choice. I think a lot of times we do more harm on the fence than we do on either side. That's why the Bible says when we become lukewarm, it makes God sick to his stomach. Makes him want to puke. That's what spewing out of his mouth means. We got to make a choice. Who are we going to serve? But now listen, parents. It's not your kid's choice to make. That's your choice. Let me tell you why. Because that's why they call you daddy. And that's why they call you mama. Amen? Pastor Chuck Swindoll preached a message years ago called, That's Why They Call You Daddy. I've never forgot it, man. That blessed my soul and convicted my heart. They call you daddy for a reason. They call you mama for a reason. And we must declare with our lips and then pattern with our lives. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus. So guess what? I won't let them know. You ain't even got to ask. Sunday morning, we're going to church. And if we have in church on Sunday night, we're going to be there then. And Wednesday night for Bible study, we're going to be in church. And if we have a program at the church, we're going to be there. We're going to be faithful to the things of God. You ain't even got to ask that. We go it. Amen. As for me and my house, we're going to do what we can to serve the Lord. Not just here, not just in the church house, but in my house. Listen, I want to make sure they know that when we sit down around the dinner table, the first thing we're going to do is pray and ask Jesus to bless this food and thank him for providing it. And I want them to know that if we have a problem in the family, we're going to gather together at the family altar and we're going to pray about it. And I want them to know I got the great privilege of being their pastor and preaching from the pulpit the truth of the word of God. And I certainly want to do that here, but I also want to use my pulpit around that dinner table. And when I have the opportunity, when God gives me the opportunity, listen, when, I, when God opens that door that he so beautifully opened so many times and I get to share the truth of the word of God in my home, folks, that is powerful. As for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus. I want to declare it with my lips. Oh, but we must also pattern it in our life. I want them to see me loving God and loving people. You say, brother, are you perfect at it? Not by a long shot. I'm not. I need God's grace every day. And sometimes I just got to tell them, look, I've blown it. And I'm sorry. And I messed up. And I wish I'd have done this differently. We must declare Jesus as king. Number two, we must defend the marital relationship. 
Let me tell you, moms and dads, the greatest gift that you can give to your children, the greatest gift, bar none, that you can give to your kids is a godly, great, strong marriage. Greatest gift you can give them. A godly marriage where the husband realizes his role and the wife realizes her role and both of them filled with the Holy Spirit fulfill those roles. That's a godly marriage. I said a great marriage. I didn't say perfect. You're never going to have a perfect marriage. The only one that has a perfect husband is Brandy. Y'all believe that, don't you? No, there are no perfect marriages. I certainly don't have one. I've got a great one, though. I really do. I have a great marriage. It's not perfect, but I want them to see a godly marriage. I want them to see a great marriage. Let, let me say something else, though. I want them to see a strong marriage. When they know mom and dad's in it for the long haul, and divorce is not an option, Brandy told me years ago she's never thought about divorce. She's thought about murder a few times, but <laughs> never divorce. When my kids know that, let me tell you what that does. It does two things. First of all, it gives them stability in the home. It gives them a stable foundation that they can grow from. Amen? And I want them to have that. I want them to know, look, mom and dad, we're going to be together. Lord willing, hey, we're in this for the long haul. We've committed to one, not one to another, but we're committed before the Lord. I want, and then let me tell you what else it does. Not only does it give them stability in the home, but it also teaches them how to be a godly husband if I model that in front of them. It teaches them how to be a godly wife if Brandy models that in front of them. Listen, it also shows them what to look for in a godly husband, and it shows them what to look for in a godly wife. When we have a godly marriage, a great marriage, a strong marriage. So the greatest thing you can do for your kids is, is model that in front of them. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, we've talked about that for the last two weeks. You said, Rudd, I thought we were going to talk about parenting. Well, it's hard for me to talk about parenting if I, really, if I don't talk about marriage because all of this works hand in hand. Now, I know you single parents thinking, what about me? Well, I'll get to you in just a minute, but I'm just telling you, listen to me now. You need to understand the greatest gift you can give is that strong marital relationship. If you believe it, say amen. Now, how are we going to make it stronger? Let me give you these three quick things. I've gave you these before. I'm going to give them again because they're so important. Discuss daily. If you do not communicate, you will disintegrate. You will. Because guess what will happen? Your mind will play tricks on you. When you stop communicating, you will start creating scenarios in your mind about why she's not talking to you or why he's not talking to you. You'll create scenarios in your mind, and then guess what will happen? You'll build upon that. And before long, you'll have this whole story made up in your head that may or may not be true. But the way you found out whether it's true or not is by talking to the other person. And being honest one with another. And I'm going to tell you something. When you don't communicate, the devil will have a field day in your mind. Amen? Communicate. Discuss daily. Let me tell you something else you do. You date weekly. Spend time with one another. Carve out that time to take that woman. Guys, 
That woman you love, treat her like you used to treat her. A lot of marriages could be, could be fixed if we just do the things we used to do. Amen? Date her. Take her out get her something good to eat. It ain't got to be some, um, you know, five-star restaurant. Let me tell you what me and Brandy done this last Saturday. Last Saturday, we went and got some groceries over at Fulton. You know why I went to Fulton? Because I love KFC. Praise the Lord. And we went over, got us a good meal at KFC and done some grocery shopping and had a fantastic time together. That was our date for the week. Amen? Carve out that time to spend one with another. I remember, and the kids would be all right. Hey, call up your mamas or papas. Mine's got old enough now they can stay by themselves, which is fantastic. I'll see y'all later. <laughs> food's, food's in the cupboard. You, you, they'll make it. They'll make it. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? Use your own discretion. But I'm just saying, man, we, we, we'll go out and, and have a good time. The kids will be okay. My, my son, I'm here, he loved his mama, still does. About three or four years old, we were going out on a date one night, and I took him down to Mimi and Papa's, my mom and dad. And so I was about to drop him off, and he said, Dad, where you going? I said, I'm going to take your mama out on a date tonight. He looked at me with them big old eyes. He said, Dad, are you trying to keep me away from my mama? <laughs> really what he was saying was, Dad, are you trying to keep me and mama apart? No, that wasn't what I was doing at all. Let me tell you what I was trying to do. I was trying to keep me and Mama together. I wanted her to know she's the priority in my life. She needs to be the priority in my life, and I need to be the priority in her, in, in her life. Let me tell you why. And I've seen this so many times. People will be married 25, 30 years, and then they're in marital counseling and ready to get divorced. Let me tell you why they, well, they, they sometimes do that. They spent their whole lives that revolved around them kids. And they've quit discussing daily, and they quit dating weekly, and they quit spending time with one another. They quit building, listen to me now, and investing in their marriage. And then when the kids grow on, they don't even know one another. No. Discuss daily. Date weekly, if at all possible. Depart quarterly. Y'all ain't gonna believe what Miss Brandy bought me for Christmas. Journey tickets. Journey tickets. <laughs> now I know what some of I can't believe that preacher's going to listen to Journey. Ah, whatever. You ain't got to listen to him. I can't wait to listen to him. We're going to have a good time. We're going to depart. Go to Birmingham. Listen to some journey. Enjoy ourselves. Now, we can't do that all the time, but we're going to do it sometimes. Because I want to invest in her, and she's going to invest in me. And that's going to help us be the parents we need to be. If you believe it, say amen. So what do we do? We declare Jesus as king, number one, in our home. We defend the marriage. Number three, what are we going to do? We're going to love 
we're going to learn our kids something, and then we're going to discipline our children in that order. That's what this is talking about. Look what it says. Watch this now. Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up, watch this now, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The word nurture speaks of discipline in the Greek, the original Greek. The word admonition speaks of instruction. It's through discipline that we provide direction, and it's through teaching we, we provide instruction. If you believe it, say amen this morning. Now, is it important that we love our children? It's of utmost importance. But let me tell you something. Love is much more than just a feeling. I tell folks all the time in, in marital counseling, listen, love is a noun, but it's, it's, a, it's also a verb. Love, real love, produces action. And so there are things I have to do, I need to do as a father because I love my kids that a lot of times are not going to be popular with them or anybody else. And it's going to make them mad at me. It has before. Amen? I remember one time I took a sledgehammer and broke a cell phone into about 20,000 pieces. Let me tell you why I did that, to prove a point. Was she happy about it? Nope. Did I care at the moment? Nope. Let me tell you why. Listen to me. I bought the cell phone. I paid the bill. Let me tell you something else. I wanted her to know her life, how she views herself, does not revolve around what somebody says on a social media post on that stupid cell phone. There are things you're going to have to do that are not going to be popular. But I do it not because I want to hurt my children, not because I want to keep good things from them, but because I love them. Let me give you a for instance. Let me give you uh, just one quick story before I close. Years ago, my daughter was asked to join a travel volleyball team. She was doing well at it. She loved it. They asked her to be a part of it. And so she came to me, Dad, I want to do this. You know, um, please, 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 you know how it is. And so I said, okay, we'll do this. But, honey, I, I want you to know, look, if they're, when are they doing their, their games? And old Daddy will be on, on Fridays and Saturdays. I said, I just want you to know now, Sundays we're going to be at church. We said that before we started that season. I said, now, that's the only thing, and I'm going to tell your coach that. And if they still want you, then we'll do it. But at Sunday we're going to be at church. I mean, we've we got to do that. We're going to do that. And she said, she said, okay, that's fine. So I talked to their coaches, and I said, look, when are you going to have these tournaments? They said, well, it's going to be on the weekends. It'll be Friday and Saturday mostly. There may be some Sunday tournaments. I said, I just want you to know, I want to go into this with the understanding, if there are Sunday tournaments, we won't be able to be a part of that. And he, coach was fine with it. I said, okay, well, we went all over the southeast all that um, summer and fall, uh, playing volleyball everywhere. And, there, and it wasn't a problem until right at the end of the year. Right at the end of the year, they had done really well in a tournament in, uh, I think it was Little Rock, Arkansas is where we was at. Little Rock or somewhere out in Arkansas. And, and, and that Friday night, they played really well. Saturday, they played well all day long and got into the quarterfinals on Sunday. 
uh, that would be Sunday morning all the way through Sunday evening. And I, and I told Anna Kate, I said, baby, I'm so sorry. Now, we, you know, this is what we said before the season. We said that we're going to be in church on Sunday. So we're going to leave tonight. Oh, man. Is this like I crushed her? I did crush her. That was important to her. And then I went and told the coach. <laughs> crushed him. And it must have crushed the rest of the parents because they was mad at me when I left. Folks, I want to tell you something. That was hard. That was hard. Let me tell you why I did it. Because I wanted her to know Jesus takes priority over all this. Oh, but Brother Israel, what if she'd have got a, a, a scholarship to college somewhere playing volleyball? Well, that's fantastic if she did. But if God wants her to have a scholarship at a college somewhere, he's still able to provide it whether or not we play on Sunday or not. And I'm just going to trust that. Oh, Brother Israel, what about the commitment she made to the team? Well, first of all, we said that going in that we wasn't going to do it. Second of all, I'm much more concerned about their commitment to Christ than to a little league volleyball game, volleyball team. To love your kids, you're going to have to do some hard things. Guess why? They don't need more friends. They need a mama and a daddy. Do I want to be friendly with my kids? Absolutely. I want to have a good time with them. Matter of fact, I have a good time with them. I'd rather hang out with my kids than anybody. I really had. I enjoy spending time with them daily. I enjoy laughing with them. Right? I don't want them to take myself too seriously. And they don't take me all that serious most of the time because they love laughing at dad. Tickles them to death. I try to make them laugh every day. You know, if, if it's nothing but a dad joke, I send them on text message or a dance-off we do in the living room. I want to have a good time with my kids. And we should want to be friendly with our children. But they don't need more friends. They need a mom and a daddy. Amen? That's what we're called to be. That's what we got to be. Just the other day, my last birthday, I went into work one morning. And one of the guys who also knows my daughter came up to me and said, happy birthday. And I said, thank you, man. I, I don't have Facebook anymore, but he did. And he said, I didn't know you was that old. And I said, yeah, man, I'm getting on up there. He said, well, I'm just 51. I didn't know you was 55. And I said, I'm not 55. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, Anna Kate put on there, happy 55, Dad. I knew just as well. That tickled her to death and everybody else. And that's why she did it. Now, why can we do that? Because I want to be friendly with her. I don't want to take myself too serious. But I do want to be her daddy and theirs. Amen? So we're going to laugh, have a good time, be friendly, but they need more than a friend. You got to love them. You got to lead them. Amen? And through loving and leading, they learn. <laughs> the best message you're ever going to preach is not what you say behind a pulpit or not what you continually harp on them at home with when you're speaking. 
the best message you'll ever preach is your living. I want them to see. I want them to understand with my life. You know what? I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to do my best to love people. I want them to see that in me. The best messages are not taught, but caught. We need to catch these things from mom and dad. Now, then the Bible says we are to discipline our children. Let me tell you why. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says it like this, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Somebody say amen. You know what that means? That means they came here born with a sinful nature. And they've got foolishness in them. And if you don't correct them, that won't change. Let me tell you what foolishness leads to? Them living lives as fools. If you don't get scared to death as a parent, look through the Word of God about what the Bible says about fools. I don't want my kids to be foolish and live as fools. So if I don't want that, and I love them, I'm going to do the hard thing and discipline them. And it is a hard thing. I can remember my dad telling me when I was growing up, son, this hurts going to hurt me a whole lot more and it's going to hurt you. And I thought, well, we better get you to the doctor. Because you ain't going to make it through this session, if that's true. But after I become a parent myself, I've come to realize he's absolutely right. It does hurt me much more than it hurts them. And it is a hard thing to do. But the Bible says I must discipline them to drive that foolishness away. To direct them, we must correct them. What am I talking about? I'm talking about spanking. Now, I know that's not popular. And I know a lot of people don't agree with it. But I'll tell you this, it works. And it's according to the truth of the Word of God. God's word works when you work it. When you work it. I'm not talking about in any way abusing your child, but I am talking about spanking them and correcting them. It's necessary. Now listen, I want to answer two questions. How do we spank? How do we discipline? Number one, you never do it in anger. If your child makes you angry, and they will, you get over that before you discipline. Take some time. Send them to the room, tell them you'll be in there in a little bit, and cool down before you get there. Number two, how are you going to discipline? You discipline because of outright disobedience. When I've told them to do something or not do something, and they disobey me outrightly, it's time, to, it's time to spank. All right? Then. Do, I don't spank them just for being kids and doing what kids do. Let me give you a for instance. Years ago, when Gage was, I don't know, probably 8, 9, 10 years old, he loved wrestling. We went to wrestling in Birmingham and wrestling in Tupelo. And we went to wrestling down in... Uh, uh, which was absolutely fantastic in New Orleans at, um, what was the name of that? SummerSlam? WrestleMania. 
awesome, man. Loved it. I think I enjoyed it as much as anybody. Had a great time with it. But he loved wrestling. He was all about it. Had all the men and all that. And so I was sitting in the house one day, and I looked outside and seen him out playing in the yard, and he's dragging an eight-foot step ladder behind him. And so I thought, what is that all about? Well, I was getting me something to drink in the kitchen, so I went ahead and got me something to drink. Man, was, I thought, I'm about to go see what's going on with the stepladder. Around back, we had a trampoline. That trampoline had a surround thing around it, the big net that goes around it. And when I walked into the backyard, he was up on that trampoline on top of an eight-foot stepladder on the trampoline. And when I walked around the corner, he jumps off the, the uh, ladder Falls onto the trampoline, ladder goes everywhere, and the whole time he's commentating like he's Hulk Hogan. Now, did I go out there and jerk him up and beat the fool out of him? Why no? That's just a boy being a boy. But what I did tell him, son, do not put that ladder back on the trampoline. We ain't having a ladders and chairs match with your sisters on the trampoline. Now, if I would have went back out the next day and he had that stepladder back on that track, guess what I'd have done? I'd have took my belt off and I would have applied some knowledge to the seat of his britches. You understand me? Because that would have been outright disobedience. Don't do it in anger. You discipline because of outright disobedience and you need to start as soon as possible. When Anna Kate was three years old, three, maybe four, she was just learning her letters. She had the magnetic letters that you stick on the, on, on the refrigerator. I came in one evening from work, walking through the house, and there were letters just scattered all over the kitchen floor. And, and she was in her, uh, in, in her room playing. So I called her in there and said, come in here, honey, I want you to pick up your letters. And so uh, she went over there and, and picked up one letter and put it on the refrigerator. And then she looked back down and, and started to get another one. She just looked up at me and said, no. I said, Take the letters, hon. Let's put them back on the refrigerator. That's where they go. If you're not going to play with them right now, put them back up there. No. Take the letters. Put them back on the refrigerator. No. Curly, blonde hair and pigtails. Big hazel eyes looking up at me. So, I took my hand and spat it at bottom. Put the letters back up on the refrigerator. No. Oh, gosh, what am I going to do now? So, a little bit more aggressive. Spat it at bottom. Put the letters back up on the refrigerator. No. Boy, I've got me some here. I knew right then. But I knew I better get the bluff right now. If she's got this much stubbornness and gumption at three, what's it going to be like at 13? What's it going to be like at 15? And I made up my mind right then. She's not winning today. And we, went, we repeated that process until every one of them letters were put back on that refrigerator. Because I wanted to? No, because I loved her. Still do. 
we love, we lead. When we love and lead, they learn. And when they need correction, we discipline. God's word works. Work it. Work it. Everybody stand together. I've got some great news for you. How many believe that Jesus is still in the saving business? He's still speaking to hearts and changing lives. So glad of that. Miss Angela, come on up, sweetie. Come right here. Angela came Wednesday night, her and her mother, and spoke to me about an experience they had last week at home. She wanted to know how to be saved, and her mother in her home led her to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Really goes right along with the message I just preached to you this morning. You know, I'm thankful when I have the great privilege of preaching to you kids and helping you kids, and I always want to do that. I want to be their pastor. But man, it, it blesses my soul when I see parents teaching them the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done for them. So we went through the plan of salvation, asked her if she had any questions in my office. She told me she did not, that that's something she had already done with her mother earlier. And we talked a little bit about all that. And this morning, she wants to make public to you the fact that she's trusted in Christ as her personal Savior. Sweetie, you got anything else you want to, you want to say this morning? Nothing? All right. You can go back and be seated. I want you to be praying for her. I want you to encourage her. Just like Brother Kyle spoke on this morning, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. There's a party in heaven because of the decision you made, young lady, and that's an amazing thing. I'm so proud of you. So proud for you. We'll set up a time for her to be baptized, but be much in prayer for her in the meantime. Now, I want you to remember also tonight, Five o'clock, we'll be doing Kingdom Man here at the church. Six o'clock, we'll be doing Kingdom Woman. All of that's going to happen this evening. Um, if you didn't sign up for Kingdom Man or Kingdom Woman, I got some extra books. Come on and be with us. If we can't get you a book this week, I'll have you one by next week. So anybody who wants to come, you come on and be a part of that starting tonight at 5 and 6. And I'm telling you something, like I've said before, I can't think of another um, study I've ever done that's helped me more as a man of God than this one. And I'm excited about what God's going to do in my life and in your life when we come together this evening. So that'll be at 5 o'clock for men, 6 o'clock for women. Come back and be a part of that. Uh, any other announcements I need to make?